and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You ever get the feeling that things just aren't right? I do. I had a wonderful week this last week uh, with my family. We traveled to Minnesota for the celebration of my dad's 40th anniversary of being a pastor. Uh, I got to play organ on one of the hymns, and my brother, Seth, uh, and, and his wife, Emily, and my wife, Abby, the four of us led the rest of the music for this special celebration of my dad, and it was a wonderful time, and then we spent the week together as a family. It was a, a joyous time. We traveled back on Friday, this just uh, two days ago, and our trip back was, I mean, it was a bit of a slog. <laughs> we have four kids, after all, and they're 10 and under, so it's going to be. Uh, but just on top of the fact of their ages, our, our daughter Phoebe, who's five years old, had been uh, battling an, an infection that we were trying to kind of keep at, at bay. And the last night we were there, she was feeling uh, feverish. And so we were able to get in contact with our doctor here and get a prescription sent down. And we got that uh, Friday morning before we left. And so she was just kind of feeling crummy in the van on the way home. And Ari, who's our youngest, he's 10 months old. Well, he was being 10 months old in the van and not wanting to be strapped into his car seat for all that long. And so the older two are trying to take turns helping and calming him. And needless to say, we, we got home. We got home fine, but uh, we were tired. And that evening, though, we, we were trying to tend to Phoebe, who was dealing with the fever, and got her into bed and, and at rest. And then, you know, we're trying to unpack and see if there's any food left in our freezer, if we put anything, any leftovers away. And thankfully we did, and so we scrounged together a little bit of food and even fed Ari, our 10-month-old, a little bit of food. I mean, mostly he just mashes it in his face and in his hair, but needless to say, he's experimenting and got him a bath and my wife tucked him in and I read to the other two, the older two, and got everybody into bed. And my wife and I sat down on the couch and exhaled and said, we're home. <laughs> it wasn't 10 minutes later, though, that our son Ari started crying in his room, and unfortunately, it's not uncommon at this stage of his life, and so I went in to try to calm him, and he wouldn't calm down, and so my wife came in, and he still wouldn't calm down, which is unusual when she's trying to uh, help him, and after a little while, she noticed that it seemed like his, his breathing was um, wheezy and, and raspy, and she got a bit concerned, so she brought him out to me in, in the living room where it was more light. Um, and we, we noticed he actually had hives all over his body. Now, if you don't know our family all that well, we have other kids that have dealt with really severe eczema, and he's dealing with that, and we have other, lots of allergies with these kids, and, and so we, we started noticing the hives, and it seemed like he was uh, having trouble breathing, and so we got very concerned, and we just said, let's, let's go, let's, let's get to the hospital. Thankfully, we live less than a mile from the hospital in Hancock, and so uh, you know, fault me if this is the wrong choice, but we had three sleeping kids, and I just threw Abby and Ari in the van, and I drove them up and dropped them off at the door, and I, I drove back home, and as soon as I got into the living room, I fell down on my knees, literally, in, in prayer, <laughs> just saying to God, God, please, please be with my son. Protect him, God, I don't know what's going on. Be with my daughter who's not feeling well in her room. God, I don't know what's going on. This doesn't feel right. God, this doesn't feel fair that my children are going through this. It doesn't feel just. It's not right. God, please protect them. Be with them. Thankfully, doctors 
know what they're doing. <laughs> and they gave him the medicines that he needed. And the doctor reassured my wife that he actually wasn't in respiratory distress, which made us feel a lot better, but we made the right choice taking him in. They were there for about two hours, got him calmed down, got him what he needed. I went and picked them up, got them home. He's doing fine. We don't know what caused it, so that's a little unconcerning. Keep us in your prayers for that. Our daughter Phoebe, she's on the mend. The medicine's kicking in and all that stuff. But after dealing with all these things, and you have stories like this in your life, plenty of them, and this is just one in mine where I look at it all, and, I, and I, I'm a man that is starving for righteousness. I'm so hungry for things to just be right. Because so often it feels like it's not. Are you aware in your life, in the world, of the things that just don't feel right? I think you are. I think even our non-Christian brothers and sisters are. But what we choose to do about that, well, that's where things are a little bit different. (laughs) And people respond in different ways. And we're going to get to that in just a little while. We've been preaching through the Beatitudes, words of Jesus, his opening statement into this popular Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Today we are in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, which says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Now some of you, this is your first time here or first time with us during this sermon series, and so let me just give you the scope of the Beatitudes very briefly. The Beatitudes are all these statements of Jesus, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. What Jesus is saying in these Beatitudes, in all of them, is this, you are blessed, that means you're fortunate, you have favor upon you because Jesus is with you. You're blessed because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is here in your life to bring you heaven. You're blessed. Even when you're hungry, even when you're thirsty because things aren't right, you're still blessed because Jesus is with you and you can find satisfaction in him. However, what Jesus is also setting up in the Beatitudes is he is teaching us to look forward to a future hope and a fulfillment of Jesus' promise that one day when Jesus returns, he will restore all things, resurrect all things, and set all things right once and for all. And so what Jesus is saying, again, is you are blessed right now, even as things are not right because Jesus is with you and you have some satisfaction But there will come a day when you will no longer hunger or thirst because all things will be made right and you'll just be satisfied. Jesus is speaking these words to people who likely had often dealt with real hunger and thirst. There was widespread poverty at the time that Jesus lived. And many of the people who followed Jesus weren't really the wealthy ones or the well-off ones. Oftentimes it was the poor people who were following Jesus. So Jesus says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst. And so many of these people are probably thinking, I know what it's like to hunger. I know what it's like to thirst. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been that destitute for food or drink, but you probably know what it's like to hunger. 
and thirst? You know what it's like to have those hunger pains and your stomach growls at you? You know what it's like to thirst and to get a headache because you're dehydrated or have your mouth parched? Jesus says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what he's saying is, you know that longing feeling you have when you're hungry and you're thirsty, that you just long for food and drink? Long in the same way for righteousness. Long in the same way that things would be made right. I already told you, I'm a man who's starving (laughs) for righteousness. I hope you are too. This concept of righteousness in the Bible is extensive. The Bible talks about righteousness all over the place. And when it speaks about righteousness, it can mean many different things. Righteousness can be used to talk about God's character, that he's perfect, that he's just, that he's fair, that he's right. It can be used to talk about our moral standing among people, the quality of our character, the conduct that we have in this life. It can, it can deal with all those kinds of things. In the Old Testament, righteousness, that Eng, the English word righteousness shows up about 420 times. In the New Testament, about another 144 times. So the Bible's talking about righteousness all over the place and in a myriad of ways. But the whole concept of righteousness can actually be boiled down into a very simple framework by which you can actually see all of Scripture in a new light and all of your life and relationships in a new kind of light. And I want to explain this framework to you today. But first, let me tell you, in case you didn't know where you stepped foot into today, um, this is a Lutheran church. Okay. If you're looking for the Baptist church, they're over there, and the Methodists are over there. This, is, this one's a Lutheran church, and that actually means something. Um, our thinking, our interpretation of the Scripture, our living out of it, it was heavily influenced by Martin Luther and uh, his uh, Reformation in the 1500s in Germany. And much of Christianity, most of it, has been influenced in incredible ways. Now, Martin Luther, in 1530, wrote a commentary on the book of Galatians, okay, a letter, the letter to Galatians. And in that commentary, he writes about what, what, what we now call the two kinds of righteousness. Now, if you've never heard of the two kinds of righteousness before, pay attention today, because I think if you can get this right, you will find incredible freedom and purpose in your Christian living. Let me explain it to you, and to do so, I got to use a little bit of fancy technology, so let me just see if this thing, is that thing working? Okay, that's me. I didn't mean to be blue, I'm blue, no, I didn't mean to be blue, I wanted to be white. Okay, so this whole thing, this whole thing, this whole two kinds of righteousness, today, let's call it, let's call it this, wait, where'd it go? We're going to call it this, two, K-R, just for short, two kinds of righteousness, right? And the two kinds of righteousness first start where all things should start, and it starts with God. God is the one who is perfect. He is just, he is fair, he is 
right. All righteousness is his and his alone. I have to draw us. This is me, this is you. And in talking about two kinds of righteousness, we talk about it in two kinds of axes. This one goes up and down, so we'll call it vertical. Vertical righteousness. Now, God is perfectly righteous, perfectly just, perfectly fair. You and I have a relationship with God. Are you perfectly right, perfectly just, perfectly fair? No, no. So our relationship with God is soiled and stained with sin, right? It just is. It affects this relationship. But God, who is rich in mercy and full of grace, sent his son Jesus into this world to die the death you deserve as a punishment for your sin. And Jesus rose to new life, defeating death so you can have life now and life eternal. And so Jesus has done all of this. So this whole relationship that you have with God is solely on account of Christ and Christ alone. He does it all. He does it all. When God looks at you, you are actually right in God's eyes. You are right in God's eyes because of what Christ has done for you through his death and resurrection. Can you do anything to earn this kind of love? Can you do anything to merit this kind of favor that God has for you? The answer is no. And so this is what Luther would call passive righteousness. We are passive. We don't do anything to save ourselves. We don't do anything to make ourselves right. We just mess it up even more. God is rich in mercy. God gave us his son, Jesus, so that we can have salvation and forgiveness. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees your savior, his son, Jesus. And he loves you and he forgives you. Now, how do we receive all this? Again, it's passive. It's passive. He just gives it to us. And so we receive it solely through faith alone. By grace, through faith, on account of Christ alone, do we receive the righteousness of God. Vertical. We don't do anything. God does it all. But then there's this other realm. As we look out into the world, and this deals with our relationships with the world. You could say in this axis, this is our, sorry, I have terrible handwriting, our horizontal axis, horizontal righteousness, righteousness before the world. And in this kind of righteousness, in this world, guess what? You are not passive. You're the opposite of passive. Here you are active. You actually do something, and you're actually responsible for the way that you do it. God has called you to live as righteous people in this world, and it has its effects. When I'm a husband, and I try to live as a good husband, according to my calling for my wife to love her like Christ, if I do that, even a little bit to the best of my ability, but through Christ, she will receive those benefits of Christ. When I love my children as much as I can, 
Like Christ loves me and loves them, they receive those benefits. If I serve you as pastor and do the best of my ability, you receive those benefits of Christ. So this is all about our relationships with other people, but not just people, also the world, the creation. Look at this, I can even do color. A little Bob Ross here, guys. I can do, so when, when we go and we live in the creation and we, we see the, the trees and the flowers and we tend to God's good creation, we should go about that as Christian people. Even as we work and live amongst the, oh man, that's a bad start. Uh, hang on a second, let me see if I can, the, hold on. Oh man, <laughs> hang on. Uh, oh, well, that's a mouse. The, um, the, that's a dog. I was intending for dog. We got dog, anybody? All right. Um, so as we live amongst whatever animal it is, as we go about in the creation, as we go and live about this creation, we are called to live as righteous people, as God's representatives in this world, actively. Now, let me be very clear, because you'll hear some different Christian teaching on this, and this is where a proper distinction of the two kinds of righteousness is very important and very freeing, okay? Some people would teach you that the way that you live in this world has some sort of bearing on the way that you are with God, that you need to live a certain kind of way in order to merit a kind of favor with God. These two things are distinct, and at this level, in this horizontal realm, every single one of us are on the same playing field. Whether you're rich or poor, whether whatever nationality you come from, whatever age you are, we're all in the same boat. Dead sinners, forgiven and made alive only through Christ alone. So what we do in this world actually doesn't bear on this at all. We don't do things in this world to try to make God happy. We don't do things to try to please God. God's already pleased and happy with you because of his son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for you. So the question is maybe, why should we then? Why should I do anything in this world? Because your neighbors need you to. That's it. Not just the people that live next door to you. Anybody that you interact with. Those people that are hungry and thirsty need someone to bring them true satisfaction, which can only come in Jesus. Your, your neighbors need you to, so go and do it. See, having an appropriate understanding and distinction between these two kinds of righteousness, I find to be so helpful. And if you meditate on it and think about it and read the scriptures with this kind of framework and look at your life and the world, I think you'll find it incredibly freeing. Martin Luther said in that Galatians commentary, he said this, listen closely. He said, there is no comfort of conscience so solid and certain as is this passive righteousness. Let me say it again. There is no comfort of conscience so solid and certain as is this passive righteousness. Which Luther's saying, I I'm free. I'm forgiven. 
Because of what Christ has done for me, that's it? See, Luther was trying to live a life meriting God's favor, and he realized he can't merit God's favor. God already loves him on account of Christ. I just get to have it. So you can come to God, and you can say to your God, God, I am a poor, miserable sinner. I am a mess. I am broken. My life is in shambles. I keep wrecking it over and over again. It is not right. My life is not right. And God will always speak to you and say to you, my grace is sufficient for you. I love you with an unstoppable love. I gave my son for you. You're forgiven. You're set free. You're my child. I love you. Your God loves you you and forgives you. That is the declaration. That's a final word, and you can't do anything to deserve it. How freeing that is. And so we come on a daily basis to our God, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We come to God and we're, we're begging Him, God, I need to be made right. God, I need to be made right. God, I need to be made right. And over and over and over again, He promises that He will satisfy you, forgive you, satisfy you, forgive you, satisfy you, forgive you. And we hunger and we thirst and we're satisfied and satisfied until that day of the resurrection of all flesh when we'll hunger and thirst no more and we'll just simply be satisfied for all of eternity. Now, we look out into the world then, and we can acknowledge, as I already have, that things are not right in my own life, in my family's life, in my children's life. I acknowledge it. I I hope that you can acknowledge it in your life, in your family, in your situation. I think even our non-Christian brothers and sisters in this world know innately that things are not right in this world. I think people have this longing for things to be right, but how they respond, how you respond to the unrighteousness of the world, people are very different. A lot of people will look at the unrighteousness of the world, all the brokenness and the imperfections, and they'll just say, it's too much for me to handle. So I'm just going to zone out. I'm going to distract myself with things that are pleasing to me. I'm going to get addicted to substances, and I'm just going to be numb to it all. There are some others who become apathetic to the unrighteousness of the world. They look at it and they say, I don't know, the world's going to choose your, you know, phrase, but it's falling apart, right? I don't even know. Let them, let them, let them go, whatever. Come apathetic to it. Some others respond in a different way. They, they go very actively into the world with um, societal actions and even political activism, and people are going after the, the unrighteousness of the world and unfairness and unjustness and starting nonprofits and doing things and trying to accomplish all these different things. Now, there may be a lot of good in all of that, possibly, hopefully, but I tell you, no matter what we do in this world, no matter how good it is, again, has no bearing on how God feels about you. I don't know if you like that or not. I actually like it. You see, you could be the person to actually cure cancer. You can find the cure to cancer and, and save millions of lives from here until Christ returns again. 
But if you're not right here, humbling yourself before God and receiving what only He can give you through Christ, it's meaningless, really. And so, again, why would we live actively in this world? Why, why not just numb out? Why not just become apathetic? What, what, should, what should we do? I'll tell you what, we should, as Christian people, we should be the most active in this world, trying to right the wrongs, trying to bring justice to, the, to those who've been treated unjustly. Christian people should be doing that. You should be raising yourselves up and getting involved in this world to bring the righteousness of Christ into this world because this world is hungry, but it's trying to fill itself with a food that will never fill them up. This world is thirsty, but it's drinking things that's only going to dehydrate it more. The only thing that satisfies a hungry soul is Jesus and Jesus alone. And this world will only be blessed by Jesus' followers if you go and you speak and you go and you live as people who have received, again, doing nothing. It's just given to you so you can go and you can live sacrificially. You can give without worrying about if you're going to get your fill because Jesus has promised it's already done. It's already declared. You're loved and forgiven. So go. Be active. And hunger and thirst for righteousness until that day when Christ returns. I'm starving for things to get right. I hope you are too. Because that's a good place to be. Because when you're hungry and you're thirsty, you constantly come back to the source of the one who satisfies and you say, God, I need you again. Please fill me. And he will. And you hunger and you thirst for things to be made right in this world and you say, God, guide me, lead me, show me where to go. And he will. And until that day of everlasting life, we will hunger and we will thirst for righteousness. And when we come to Christ, we will be satisfied in him. And one day Christ will return and he'll make things all right (laughs) once and for all. In his name, amen. Please rise if you're able.